0: Knock Central, Hour 2. This hour is presented by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler. Proud family-owned B.C. company, helping local business since 1892. I had to put the heater on today. It was kind of cold out. I know that's weird for Chris Faber, who's uh, running the show today. Guy's wearing shorts when it's minus 7 out. Doesn't I matter. turned
1: the AC on today driving into work. I'm not even kidding. Like, I thought you were going to bring that up about the weather. But it was, the sun was hitting me through the window on the drive-in. Yeah. See, okay, the sun in the window
2: while driving, Yeah, it, it can heat it up pretty mm-hmm. good, right? Like, I, I do understand that,
1: but I probably would not have the AC on. <laughs> I've had the sunroof open for, like, literally, I've been saying this, like, two weeks now. I've been driving around with the sunroof open and, like, really enjoying it, like, I don't know. It's a different type of wind in your face when you get it from the sunroof. Yeah, it's true. It's not as bad coming off the sunroof. Yeah, it's not. It kind of like just fluffs your hair up. You don't even have to do your hair in the morning. You just like (laughs) wet it and then just keep the sunroof open on the way in. How do you style your hair, sunroof? (laughs) You got to like open up certain sides of the windows to get like the right slipstream going through to get the right angle of the hair. Yeah.
2: Faber has, like, uh, the inclines for each window and how much they have to go down just to get a perfect breeze to style his hair.
0: <laughs> the perfect quaff for his hair.
1: <laughs> Got a haircut yesterday. Ooh, oh, looking fresh. Yeah, as I said, barely had to use any of the uh, sunroof action today. <laughs> it's in place. <laughs>
0: I've got to go see my guy Des over at Boombox. It's been a while. It's look get, at you! It's getting, it's getting a little long.
2: Look at you dropping
0: names and hey. everything. Your
2: friend over at Boombox.
0: Des Des is a great guy. Dez. Does, uh does some of the hair for the Whitecaps players and uh, Whitecaps season ticket holder himself. He's just he's a good human. Mm. So, look at you living
2: vicariously through other soccer professionals. Yes. yes. <laughs> I can't
1: play for the White caps, but I can go where the White caps go to get their hair cut. My uh, barber does uh, Glenn Gullitson's hair as oh, well. Oh, really? Yeah. So a little uh, little connection there as well. They're pretty proud of it. Yeah. That, that
0: is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh Sats Barber does Sats hair. So that's
1: <laughs> That's
2: what
0: other
1: people say. That, my my barber does Sats <laughs> hair.
2: <laughs> no, I have I have I've had the same hairdresser uh for well over a Oh, like 12, 13 years now? It's hard leaving a hairdresser. I can't leave her, man. Yeah. Same, we've, it's been a steady relationship. Yeah. For, for the better part of tw- a dozen years. I, uh, when I moved out here, it was, it
0: was tough leaving Ron, you know? He was, uh, he was a good guy. I'd show up, he'd have my spro ready, you know? <laughs> Didn't have to say anything. He just knew how I needed my haircut. You know, just knew knew, knew the shape of my head, so he just knew exactly uh, what what would work and what wouldn't.
2: Right now, sometimes you're just used to something. Because I remember when I was in high school, I went to the same person. Yeah, and didn't realize. And then I <laughs> went somewhere but different. They weren't very good.
1: Went somewhere different. I'm like, you can do this.
2: <laughs> I can
0: have this style. I didn't know.
1: You yeah. guys like? I remember when I was back in the Naimo. There was one barbershop that like served you beers. Have you guys ever heard of Ooh. a barbershop where that's available? Because I don't know if that would be like. Well, you're getting a haircut. Do you want to be like you know yeah. drinking back a beer? I'm not sure about the beer. Remember, it used
2: to be Tommy. I'm not sure if they're still yeah, around. I think Tommy that's gun what it was Tom Tommy gun, and they like they they had like the big screen TVs. You could watch a game mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and and I think they would bring refreshments.
0: Yep. That sounds about right. I know a few that that serve uh, alcohol while you're there.
2: They can't drink themselves. The last no. thing you want is a hairdresser drinking.
0: definitely definitely not.
1: But isn't that not tempting though?
0: You know, it's a weird place where they serve uh, where they serve alcohol.
2: Where
1: axe throwing? Yes, I just did that the other weekend. <laughs> Wait, you know what, what I, I saw the other day too. Is Quiznos now serving beer? What Quiznos? What are you, what are you doing going to Quiznos? Man, and the I... beers were like the ad I saw was like three ninety five. Willows, Bur what's the one out in uh, Langley there? <laughs> Willow I've, Brook? Yeah. Willowbrook? yeah, yeah I have like not been to Hill. a
0: Quiznos in a long time. Yeah,
2: that's
1: a shout.
0: But that's the weird thing. Like, axe throwing? I don't know. Like, throwing essentially a weapon and mixing with uh, something that could uh, leave your judgment at the door.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, I- I'm staying away. Leave like, your I- better judgment. I'm on the, the other, other side of the fence or whatever you have set up. Yeah, if I'm, I'm like, yeah, you know what? We're having drinks, but like one person in in the <laughs> thing at the same time.
0: Um, axe throwing can be fun though. In any case, yes. Enough of that. Canucks and Abs tonight. Uh, we'll have the pregame coming up after six thirty. If you missed hour one, uh, less talk about axe throwing and uh, barbers, more about the Canucks and what uh, will happen with Brock Besser, also Kevin Woodley, on. Thatcher Demko, his workload, and how the Canucks can get the most out of him and what they should do with the backup position next year. So, we teased it coming into the segment thinking about the Canucks and where they were in 2008 when Mike Gillis took over from Dave Nonis. Comparing it to now, how many similarities are there? Are there things that are similar? You know, because that team obviously didn't take much to turn them around from a last place in their division at the time to a first place team and one that was eventually competing for the Stanley Cup Right, not too far down the road. Do you see... A roster that is similar to that one, that a few tweaks, and all of a sudden you can see a team that becomes really competitive, but it really hinges on making those right decisions as early as this summer.
2: In its totality, as far as players and assets, there are a lot of similarities, things that do cross over, right? Let's, for instance, look at the forward group. And there are distinct differences, but we'll get there. The forward group. The 07-08 team that Gillis and the new regime took over had these forward assets under contract. Henrik Sedin, Daniel Mm -hmm. Sedin, Ryan Kessler, Alex Burrows, Mason Raymond, Yannick Hansen. I did not include guys like Taylor Pyatt because... You know, I didn't include guys like Highmore and Lamical, kind of similar yeah. there, right? And, you know, you know, after the next year he had, he didn't really do much in, in Vancouver. And look through the prospect pool, not a ton of guys came up after that. It was essentially those six players, the Sedins, Kessler, Burrows, Raymond, and Hanson. Now, on the back end, it was far more comprehensive. You had Bieksa, you had Edler, you had Salo, you had Matthias Oland. And Willie Mitchell. I included Lucas uh, Krychek because the Canucks were able to trade him for Shane O'Brien, who was yeah. an important player uh, on the third pair for a couple years on that team.
0: Lucas Krychek was always great in, like, the NHL video games. Like, he always had great potential. Just Mo- never, moved never well, really skates yeah.
2: well, moved the puck well, was just, you know.
1: he, he looked- Mason Raymond, too. Mason yeah. Raymond was
2: the same thing. Like, oh, he, yeah. he was so good in the video games. So much speed, right, and so much potential. And then on the goalie-wise, they had Luongo and Schneider. Which, pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. So let's compare what the Canucks have, 21 asset-wise, compared to that 07-08 team. Forward-wise, Pedersen, Miller, Besser, Garland, Horvat, Hoaglander, Pearson, Putkolzin, and Mott. So they have a few more forwards that are assets than yep. the other team had. And again, I didn't include guys like Mamico. I didn't include guys like Highmore. Uh, I didn't include, obviously, guys like Jason Dickinson and so on. Because mm-hmm. you know we're not including guys that are not really yep. assets at the moment for the team. On the back end, Hughes, OEL, Myers, Shen, and Rathbone. Myers, again, not a massive asset, but a guy you can move this offseason. If we're keeping Krychek, we're keeping Luke Shen, right? And Rathbone goes in the combo because he's a prospect that has potential. He is very much an asset for this organization. Goaltending-wise, there's one guy, Thatcher Demko. Yeah. So if... Just the players alone, when I named off the players that the 07 08 team had heading into the new regime and what the 21 22 Canucks have, how similar and dissimilar are they just from straight up player assets?
0: I think uh, obviously the forward group seems to be deeper on this team, whereas there was more quality depth on defense. Yeah, in a big um,
2: way on the defense. On the
0: defense. Yeah. Um, but that defense didn't have a star. It had a lot of good players, but it didn't have a star in the way that Quinn Hughes is. Obviously, the goalies match up, like you were getting a ton out of Luongo, and obviously you're getting a ton out of Thatcher Demko right now. Both teams that kind of rely on on goaltending quite a bit. And you could say... That's the foundation of building Mm -hmm. a contending team, or at least part of it for a lot of squads. You got a goalie. You've got a chance. Doesn't diminish that you have to put some good pieces out in front of them, but having a goalie sets you up to have Mm -hmm. a pretty decent floor, right? And then all of a sudden you can really start to think about what you can do next. Like this, the the, the team that Gillis inherited – wasn't necessarily bad. Like They had 88 points.
2: That was a good hockey team. Yeah. And the reason they missed the playoffs that year is because a bunch of injuries down to stretch, and they lost something like 8 or their last 10 or 9 games or something like that. Luongo ran out of gas, and they missed the playoffs.
0: Yeah. So, Gillis inherited a team that was pretty decent. Like, an above 500 hockey team. That's probably where this team is going to end up. Now, the moves they made in the summer weren't really all that big, but it was smart moves, some cheap bets Uh, outside of, you know, Pavel Dimitra. That was the most expensive bet they made in free agency, but they went and picked up guys like, you know, Ryan Johnson and Jason King. And Mm -hmm. eventually Matt Sundin was the other big bet that they made, but you know, they kind of just improved the edges, of the roster in trade and in free agency and it helped
2: set them up for a, a really strong season. Well, one thing they had in their favor was cap space. Yeah. They had in, it had they went into the off season with over 15 million in cap space. Yeah. And Nonus for all his shortcomings, the one thing he did a good job of was keep the books pretty clear. So when Gillis came in, he had a lot of cap space. This team has no cap space. They have 10 million in cap space. But when you, if you earmark a chunk of that to Brock Besser and just bringing other guys like Highmore, Lamical back to just cheap contracts, that stuff evaporates. There's no outside of keeping your guys. There's no real cap space available to you next season. So there's a big difference on that aspect of things, right? And on the back end is where the biggest swing is. You saw how much more depth was on that back end. However, after a couple, after a year, Willie Mitchell and Matthias Oland left us yeah. free agents. They traded for Dan Ham. They signed Dan Ham. He's traded for Keith Ballard, right? So they didn't actualize those assets to get something back in return. They, they turned it around in a hurry in a big way, right? They went after guys and they were aggressive. This Canucks team isn't going to be as aggressive, right? I see people texting and saying, you'd rather have an 07-08 team. And hey, when you look at Kessler and, and the Sedins and what that team became, completely fair, completely fair point to make, right? Mm-hmm. The question, however, is how far off that type of core are you? And the biggest issue, again, comes down to cap space. Cause you are able to maybe, as I mentioned, look at the forwards. There were only about six guys that were under control for, that they had. The Sedins, Kessler, Burroughs, Raymond, and Hanson. Yeah. Those are only six guys in the organization. And it took Hanson a time, it took Raymond some time too. That year, those guys were not finished products. That year, Alex Ether hadn't really become the player he is. They became that afterwards. Right.
0: But, well, that's the other thing about this, D, is like, you know, BX and Edler are still very young at this
2: time. Exactly. Bieksa, Edler, very young defenseman at that point.
0: Canucks don't have those comps right now. No.
2: They have a couple more forwards, Yeah, right? That's why we come back to the conversation about, do they at some point end up moving a forward, whether it's a deadline most likely in the offseason, however, to get that defenseman back? And then you need that cap space, too, to do the things you want to do. But when you hear the organization say, we have pieces here, but what we need is maybe shift things around and get a little bit of cap space. Because if you have a little bit of cap space and you find another defenseman by shifting things around a little bit... Gives you opportunity. Hey, you may not be the same team as a 2011 Canucks, but you play it right. You have a core that is not too dissimilar... High end talent wise, some you know as far as potential, and we'll see if you know a guy like Patterson even comes closer to what the Sedins did, and we'll see if the Canucks have anybody like, Kessler, for instance. But there are foundations and building blocks. So if you kind of go around it, that team, because they had cap space, Gillis looked at that team and said, "We got to be aggressive." Yeah. If they had cap space with this team next season, they would be aggressive. The point is, it's not about the core. It's about the lack of flexibility, Mm -hmm. which keeps this team from being aggressive and trying to be a lot better next season.
0: And the lack of assets as well from a prospect and even pick perspective. Like, they don't have those extra assets that you could use to uh, throw into a deal, to go out and acquire things. I mean, they've just really spent a lot of assets in the last couple of years getting this roster to hear Gurjeet says the 2008 team had way better forwards. Kessler was emerging Sedin's were semi-emerged as bona fide stars. Is any one player is equivalent to the Sedin's capabilities of point production? Any going to be a Selkie winner or in consideration on the current team? This roster has quantity, not quality. That's from Gurjeet. Pedersen has point a game potential. Does he have heart trophy potential? I thought he did a couple of years ago. I still think he can get there, but he's a lot, like, he's further off it right now than I expected him to be. After the series against Vegas and everything that happened in his sophomore season.
2: And one thing to keep in mind, um, the Sedins, how you're viewing them now is not really how a lot of fans view them back, back then. then. I'm not even talking about the early parts of their careers.
0: even They, they were point a game guys nowhere near Hart Trophy discussions in 2008 either.
2: Right. And, you know, they're 25 years old, 84 points that year for Daniel, 81 yeah. points uh for Henrik Sedin. That was the 06, 07 year where they made the postseason. The next year where they missed the postseason, Henrik had 76 points in 82 games. Daniel had 74 points in 82 games. They had not yet emerged. They were 26 at that time, but they had not yet emerged as Hart Trophy, Art Ross Trophy caliber players. They were known as point-of-game guys that were really good players, but are they going to find that next level? Or do you have to find other stars? There was a big convo in Vancouver leading up to that time. but That should the should the Canucks are they better off in 2010 to sign the Sedin's or going after guys like Marion Hossa in free agency instead? Yeah, and they there were, were conversations are yeah. they they're good, but are they that level good? Well, and
0: there was you know the big story about Brian Burke bringing them to Toronto, right? Um, eventually they sign here anyhow. Um. The thing about that is, so they've got the Sedins and Kessler who we know now all turned out to be stars. Like Sedin's Hart Trophy conversations, Art Ross Trophy winners, Kessler wins a Selkie, has a 40 goal season, unbelievable through playoff player and an incredible second line center. You know, probably the best second line center in the league mm-hmm. for a period. Um I I don't see that on this Canucks roster. They've got Pedersen, who we still are waiting to emerge to that league superstar level. We've seen it earlier in his career, but he's trying to get back there now after the slow start he had this year. Besser's good. Miller's right there right now as a top 10 scorer. Is he going to be here beyond this season is a question mark. Horvat hasn't become the dominant two way center people thought he might be. And the idea of Bo Horvat winning a Selkie, I don't buy it. People might look at that as uh harsh, but I just don't think Bo Horvat is there as a two way center to be considered as a Selkie trophy winner no. in the future.
2: If you're making any comparable on this roster as Kessler to Miller. Yeah. But the issue here is Kessler was much younger at that time, Mm -hmm. whereas where Miller is now. And you were still. And Kessler at that point. Miller's
0: at the end of his peak. Kessler hadn't even got to his peak.
2: No, Kessler was coming off his first ever 20 goal year that year. Yeah. And he was emerging. People thought, you know, him and Burroughs were a really good partnership that year. And people thought, okay, you know, this is the makings of a nice, potentially third line. Kessler had not emerged as being a second line player yet. That took Kessler a couple years to get there. Uh, And that's what. And, yes, I I know people mentioned, like, when I say Pedersen, he's not going to replace both the Sidines. Yes. The point is you have one guy that can approximate potentially – the, the Sedin's potential, if you talk about one guy that could maybe do that, that's one player you have. But yeah, the rest is not quite as high. You have more depth going down. And here's the other thing. like Guys like Raymond and Hansen, they weren't what they became at that point either. Yeah. What can Hoaglander become in a couple of years? What can Bob put Colson become in a couple of years? Does Jack Rathbone factor into this equation in a couple of years some way, in some way, shape, or form, potentially, right? It shows you. You still have a lot, a long way to go. You have a lot of stuff to do. But foundationally... There is stuff here comparatively to what happened the last time a team took over and they were trying to figure out, what do we do? Do we rebuild? Do we retool? Do we go aggressive? What do we do with the group of players we have?
0: The similarity I see, they've got the foundation and goal, right? You had Luongo and Schneider. Here you have Thatcher Demko. Now, their two franchise players at the time were Henrik and Daniel Sedin from a skater perspective. That, for me, is Pedersen and Hughes right now. Hughes, we're seeing him really take it to another level and become a guy that's a top-10 D-man in the league, something this organization has never had. But if this team is going to take its next steps like that 08 team did, the similarity is not so much guys coming from outside the organization that take it over the top, sat it's internally players taking a big step. And then you add pieces around the edge that help this team get over the top. What is still ultimately going to decide things for Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford is if, Pedersen becomes the league superstar. Whomever they keep around, whether that's Besser uh, or uh, even Miller maintaining what he's at right now or Besser taking that next step to be a dominant goal scorer in this league, that's that's what they're going to need more than anything else mm-hmm. to really take a next step. It's internal improvement from guys they've already got here. It's more likely that happens— then they find some kind of diamond in the rough that becomes a superstar from outside the organization.
2: Right, and the other side of it too is if you, let's say for instance, there's a lot of talk around Brock Besser, right? Yeah. If we're looking at forwards that can become high-end caliber guys that produce long-term, with Elias Patterson, like Besser is the only guy. Like we like Garland a lot, but is he really going to be a guy that's going to be able to play front line and become, you know, a, an elite point producer? So ultimately, organizationally, if you are moving Besser, that means you still got to replace Brock Besser. And yeah. if you're moving Besser for a defenseman, you still got to find another guy to be your Brock Besser. Mm-hmm. That's why moving Besser is still so much more complicated, I think, than people realize. Because going through this whole exercise, what do you have that can approximate these sort of guys? Pedersen is one guy. The other guy, which we're, well, I was trying to get to, is who can be the Daniel to the Henrik or close to that or whatever it is. Besser is your best bet. Yeah. And if you move him, you better have a plan to one way or another, get another forward into your mix that can become that alongside Pedersen. Because you're going to need that. You're going to need two high-end drivers, and then you need guys that can make a really solid second line. The Kesslers, the Burrows, and all those guys, really nice players, right? You, might, you feel like you can find some of those guys, but who's going to be your next higher-end offensive driver next to Elias Pedersen? Long-term, who's that guy going to be? And that guy may not be in the organization right now.
0: It's a fascinating conversation and a comparable with some similarities, but some clear differences as well, especially when you bring up the cap space. Stan Riccio and Satyar Shah up next. What does Irfan Gaffar think will happen with Brock Besser? We'll discuss with him next on Canuck Central. This hour of Canuck Central is presented by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned B.C. company helping local business since 1892. Uh, Coming up after 6 o'clock, overrated underrated so uh get some uh submissions in uh chris faber's canucks coverage overrated or underrated maybe you'll want to hear that coming up after six o'clock
1: it's gonna be fun i'm excited i won't be here Are you guys gonna like talk crap about me? i leave at <laughs> six o'clock
0: <laughs> yes we'll wait for you to leave before we really be start listening
1: to- See, that was a tease, so we make
2: sure you listen on your way back. <laughs> Please, yeah, you just earned one listener for sure. <laughs> well,
0: at least we'll have one. Uh, no, Faber's the best, so check him out at Canucks Army and uh, Canucks warm-up every Saturday here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Brock Besser has inevitably become the big conversation point on the show, and we just finished the uh, discussion about – Comparing the Canucks now to the 08 Canucks that Mike Gillis took over and pondering, you know, is it similar to now as Patrick Alveen gets his hands on this roster? And uh, one texter, Port Moody Don, says we're crazy comparing uh, Besser and saying he's better or more important to the team than Kessler. Um, Says Kessler damn near got us a cup. Besser? Nope. And he's going to require $7 million. Time to cut him loose. Because if he's getting $7 million and I'm Miller, I want $9 million. And you're penciling Hughes as a top 10 defenseman. No way. Canucks fans. And uh, Port Moody, Dawn with that text. Uh,
2: I- if you don't think Quinn Hughes is playing a top 10 defenseman this year, then I'm not sure what you're watching. Yeah. So I'll say that right off the bat. Nobody said <laughs> Besser is better than Kessler. One's a center. One's a winger. Mm-hmm. The conversation was... You need to have two big-time point producers long-term with this organization. Not saying you have to be Henrik or Daniel, but who do you have long-term that can be two big-time point producers? You have one in Pedersen that has that potential. The only other guy on the roster or within your grasp is Brock Besser. Yeah. That's not comparing him to Ryan Kessler. The Kessler comparison would be Bo Horvat, and we all agree that Kessler is the superior player to a guy like Bo Horvat, right? But... As far as who are your two big-time point producers outside of J.T. Miller, right? If he's going to be here or not long-term, yeah, Besser's the only guy that you have. So if, if Besser's not going to be that guy, if he's not that guy, pal, if he's not that guy, there's going to have to be somebody else you bring in to to become an elite-time producer for you. Like, no team wins unless you have at least two high-end producers and then have another really good center and some really good supporting players. You need two guys that can roll a pointer. Point a game and above. Yeah.
0: And, you know, if you think about Tampa over the last few years, obviously they have more than that. They've got uh, Hedman as their number one D, but up front, Stamkos is playing at a high level this year. Kucherov, we know what he can do from a point production standpoint. And then you have Braden Point. So they've got three guys that are better than a point per game. Uh, I mean, not too many teams have that, but you see some of the best ones in the league – Definitely do have up to three players that can do that. Canucks at their peak 10 years ago kind of had that with the Sedins and Kessler with the way that they were going. Stan Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Let's bring in uh, Irfan Gaffar of the fourth period and Canucks insider to the conversation. What's happening, Irf?
3: What's up, fellas? Bonjour.
0: Ah, uh, you know, just another day trading away every single Canuck.
3: Oh, again? <laughs> <laughs> have we done that for the last... 10 years?
0: I, this trade, like, is the trade deadline ever coming? That, like, that's what I wonder sometimes.
3: It's just. This trade deadline's so stupid. Nothing's going to happen until <laughs> five days before it. Like, it usually does.
0: So, Brock Besser's not getting traded to Pittsburgh tomorrow, then?
3: Not tomorrow. Okay. I okay. mean, I don't know. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? That's the interesting one, though, right? Like, with so much talk about so many other people, now it's like, okay, is Besser going to get traded for Marino Merino or. What's going to happen, and or capping in, and you look at all these different things. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, and I know that obviously his camp really hasn't heard anything. So we'll uh, we'll put, we'll we'll have to play it by ear and see what happens here.
2: Yeah, I, I guess we'll see what happens. None of us, none of us really know what's going to happen. The one thing that I wonder about though a little bit is that some of the stuff around Besser. Not to say that he, who knows, maybe he does get traded, but I'm not sure the conversations with Pittsburgh have all to do with Besser. No, like, never mind. I, I. I don't think it's just Besser that's being talked about. Or if it's even him, like if, if a deal happens, let's say Marino comes to Vancouver, I'm not sure it would be Besser going the other way.
3: Yeah, I agree. Look, I, like like I've said before, we've talked about it a million times. It's, it's doing whatever you can do and try and get the best return to improve your hockey team. And you know what, a Besser deal might not be the best. You know, you try and you know collect assets with maybe other guys. And we obviously have heard Tyler Mott's name, and then guys like Luke Shen, and then things like that. So obviously Connor Garland's name has been thrown out there as well, but. This is the time of year, and this is one of those trade deadlines where you look at it every day, and you just not only talking from a Canucks perspective, but really around the National Hockey League, and you're like, okay, everyone seems to want to do something. The Florida Panthers are apparently in on everything. The Vegas Golden Knights are apparently in on everything. And you look at other teams of the East, the Leafs are definitely going to want to do something. So it's not just here in Vancouver, but until something actually happens, we just have to sit here and talk about it.
0: Yeah, when when it comes to Besser, you know, I think a lot of people in the market uh, see him as a piece that could be part of the solution, you know, with what he does. If this is a Brock Besser down year, like he's still giving you quite a bit from a production standpoint. Of course, the contract brings a lot of different conversations into the forefront, but. Is 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 all of this, you know, just trending towards what we've kind of talked about, like a contract somewhere in the six million dollar range? Like it almost feels like both sides know where the number ends up. It's just a matter of trying to get it done. Trying to get it done.
3: Yeah, I, mean, I think that that's the biggest thing, right? When you look at the, it's it's overall going to be the number in term, right? Because then you have yeah. to look at obviously it's not just one domino that falls when you. But to make a contract like that. And then you're like, okay, in a couple of years, well, how much money are we going to have to resign PD? How much money are we going to have to resign the, to resign Bo Horvat and guys like JT Miller, if you want to keep them. Right. So there, there's all these other things that you have to take into consideration. And you also, like we talked about before, have to build out your roster. You have to improve it from a defensive end. You have to improve the bottom six forwards, Right. And if that's going to happen via trade or signing guys to, to good contracts and finding value guys at under a million bucks that can play at this level, then you have to go out and do it. But, I mean, from a Brock Besser perspective, I mean, Jim Rutherford has said he's a guy that likes speed and playing fast. And I'm not saying that Besser's a bad skater, but, I mean, he's, he's one of those guys where he's as talented as hell in front of right. the net, and he's got very good hands. It's just I'm not entirely sure that, you know, he fits that mold of, of speed that they can actually going for.
2: Well, and the reality is uh, a lot of their forwards, like outside of, you know, guys like Pedersen, of course, and JT with how he's played and even Bow to some degree. I'm like, you know, Pearson doesn't, I mean, Garland doesn't yeah. quite fit what, what they want. Besser doesn't quite exactly fit. But is Besser a better fit than Garland in their eyes? And that's the question I kind of have. Hey, we can talk about, hey, both guys are maybe imperfect to what they want, but who's the better fit to what they want to do? Which guy do they believe in more? And I wouldn't be surprised if that guy is Besser. Not Garland. yeah
3: i I agree with that, but then at the same time, it, look at Garland's contract for the next few years, right you got him at a really healthy deal, and if you're gonna spend that type of money and have a guy that can put up some put up some decent numbers or you're gonna spend the real good money and try and get something in return for a guy like Garland and then have better here for the next foreseeable future like is he someone that you think that this team is gonna win with right now in the next four or five years or is or is that or is that the Connor Garland type of player so that's a decision they have to make, and that's a decision that we have to sit here and talk about for the next few weeks or months or years. We don't even know. What if they <laughs> sign up to a four-year contract or five-year contract? So,
0: it's uh, it, it does feel, though, um, you know, like the, the the Canucks, especially with the way that they've gone on the ice, it's really, like, allowed them to be in the position that they're just like, you know what? <laughs> We're totally comfortable just keeping this the way that it is, maybe outside of Tyler Mott and seeing where this goes and then make our moves in the summer like this run under Boudreaux has kind of emboldened them to just keep it going and then wait till the summer to make whatever moves you think put this team in a better spot
3: yeah they're playing well there's there's a lot of belief I think within that room that they think that they can maybe try and make a run here for the postseason um, it's going to be tough. Like, still a long shot. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I'd be shocked, right? But when you look at it from their point of view and looking at this roster, I mean, there might be a lot more suitors for a lot of their players when it comes to the off season than there is right now at the deadline. So you look at the guys that are under contract right now for the next year, you got guys like Luke Shen and guys like JT Miller and maybe even Horvat to some degree, um, they're still under contract. So really, there's not a really big big rush to do it unless like we've always talked about, you get a contract that completely blows, or get a deal that completely blows you out of the water.
2: Well, yeah, and the question too, though, is, is a team willing to do that during the season? And again, maybe That's it's more thing. likely for Vancouver to do this maybe in the offseason. And again, like we're talking about, unless they fall out of the playoff picture, I, I find it hard to see one of those big deals happening at the deadline here. But the guy that, they're talking or are going to be talking to here contract wise soon to make a decision on is Tyler Mott. And I'm sure there's a number the Canucks would sign him to, but I wonder if that number is way too low for Tyler Mott. Like how do you see that going? The contract discussions?
3: He's due for a raise. Yeah. I don't know how substantial it's going to be. Like if you look at their roster right now and players that are going to put another team over the edge come the postseason, if you're a contender, Tyler Mott's a good piece, but he's not a guy that's going to put you over the edge, right? He's a guy that can kill penalties. He plays hard, and obviously we've seen his performances in, in, in the playoffs and, and what he's able to do there. But is he a $2 million guy or a $3 million guy? I just, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think that he is, to be honest. Um, bottom six forwards usually don't get paid that much, right? And that's what Tyler Mott is. And so i respect to him or his game, but that's just how – then it's actually more of an appreciation because that's how he's carved out of the ability to stay in the league by doing those things that no one really wants to do, killing penalties, blocking shots and doing all those types of things. So I just don't know how substantial the raise is going to be and what the Canucks think that a number is.
0: Well, can you give Mott that raise uh, while while you have like guys like Jason Dickinson? Well, that's the thing,
3: right? How many, how many of these types of players are you going to have in your bottom six that you're paying all this money to? And I think that that's the decision that they have to make. And if they want to continue to try and improve your hockey team, and make these runs and then and, and go on these, go on, try and push for the playoffs and then be a contender. You got to have to start to try and find guys with some value and stop paying bottom six forwards, three or $4 million a year. Yeah. And that's why uh, Mott
0: really uh, is. And I like
3: Tyler Mott. No, and, and and he's a great fit on this team, but you know what? He's probably a great fit for the way he plays on a lot of other teams too.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, you got to be able to replace bottom six guys, right? Yep. Like every team in the league has to figure that out. And uh, the Canucks, you know, maybe a couple of years ago they could afford to spend a little bit more on bottom six sure. players, but now that you're paying Petey and you're paying uh, Quinn Hughes, you can't really afford afford that. You know, it's um, it's crazy how good they've been to get themselves into this spot here, Earth. But at the same time, I mean, they are still so far away. Um, and I kind of had this this thought earlier in the week. You know, given how good they've been is it do we put too much on Thatcher Demko that he's been the reason the Canucks have won 20 of 32 and diminish in that way some of what the players have done cuz you know like Saturday's game against the Leafs was a perfect example. I thought the team played a pretty good hockey game. Um obviously late Demko saved it for them, but to just put it all on Demko felt like we were diminishing how the team played against a, a top-level opponent.
3: Okay, so of those 20 wins in the last 32 games, how many of those games I'd ask you, was De- uh, Demko was, was Thatcher's Devco their best player?
0: Ooh, I mean...
3: And, it's, and the number's probably a lot higher than you think. <laughs> and, 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 but I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. Like yeah. Your best players need to be your best players. and On this roster, he's one of their best players. Do you need to have him every single night be that guy? No, that shouldn't be the case you should be able to go out and beat teams with the talent that you have. But of those 20 wins, how many was them your best player? And I'd say at least 10 or 11.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the other question, I mean, is around the Yara Halock situation, right? Yeah. And I mean, I've heard different things. We've heard like, okay, he might wave. And others say, oh, no, there's no way he waves. I think there's another conversation to be had here with the Canucks and Yara at some point. Where do you kind of see that going ultimately?
3: I think that there's three players that right now have no trade clauses, and I don't think any of them want to go anywhere. Mm. right, on this roster. It's it's Pearson, it's Halak, and it's OEL. And I don't think either of them, any of them want to leave. Or And you have that right in your contract, right? The Pearson one's crazy how he got a, a no-trade cause. Anyway, that's besides the point. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I think that they're going to revisit the conversation for sure. But, you know, it's up to him and, and his agent to see what they want to do there. Um, and your backup probably is bring Spencer Martin up. Is your backup if, if anything were to happen there? Or do you go out and try and get another veteran goalie? Like I don't think that you, go, I don't think that you do that because you just look at this roster right now and say, you know, Demko's a guy, and he's, and he's definitely proven that he can be our guy, and we think that you know, we might have something in Spencer Martin here. So um, I think that they do revisit it, but as of right now, the three guys that have the no moves, no, none of them want to move.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of like what contenders need a goalie.
3: Okay, well, if you're looking at that, they don't want Halak. That's what I mean, what I mean like, though, right? right? Like, I know, like yeah. you know what I mean? Like, so, like, yeah.
0: at the same time, you could ask him to move, but what team is trading for Yarrow Halak right no now? One.
3: No one. No one's trading for Yarra Halak right now.
0: Like, the Leafs, as as poor as their goaltending has been, like, are they going to look at Yara Halak and be like, yeah, that guy improves our goaltending? Uh, Edmonton? No, like, no you know, the Oilers same, aren't. Yeah. Even if Halak would want to go there. Washington? Like, I, I just... I don't see any team looking at Yarrow Halak and being like, that guy significantly improves our goaltending that we need to go out and get him. And that's, 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 the, the, that's the problem <laughs> the Canucks find
3: themselves in. If we're having that conversation here right now, talking about it, I can guarantee you there's a lot of general managers around the hockey team that are looking at it saying the exact same thing. Yeah. Is he really going to make us better? And that's the whole point of this trade deadline. If you're a contender, it's to get better. And right now, Yarrow Halak, he was a good goalie. Unfortunately, this year he's had some struggles, and he's not playing well right now.
2: How, okay, so, so we know what the Miller thing we talk so much yeah. about, right? How much do you think the office has been surprised by, A, how good JT Miller might be, but also, B, what he means to the team? Like, Do you think that there's a level, level of surprise by the new front office about what JT Miller is and what he
3: means here? Well, I think that when you look at a guy like JT Miller, I think it's, it's heart and soul. And I think that a lot of people knew that. People will remember that he was on that team, North America. At the World Cup of Hockey, like yeah. he, he's been a good player for a very long time, and you know he's had some circumstances where he didn't really work out in New York, and then he went to Tampa, and obviously then got traded here in Vancouver. This is his third team, but he's really blossomed as a hockey player here. Whether it was under Travis Green, and now obviously a different situation under Bruce Boudreau, but I think that the off the ice and the leadership role that he's taken and being the voice, and he admitted it the other day or, or this morning, saying that. You know that I, you know, the room's a little quiet, and I can be the, if I'm the guy. That's totally fine, and I think that he likes that role, and that's an important thing for a team that's young and trying to move up and, and get to the postseason is to have someone to be able to do that. Now, look, I'm not saying that Bo's a bad leader. I'm not saying he's a bad captain. I'm not saying to trade him at all. I do think that he does all those things well, but I think that it's a little bit different when you look at JT Miller, and I think that they think that too in the front office.
0: Well, they're different types of leaders.
3: Hundred percent.
0: Right, and I think Miller being that vocal guy, like I just don't see who else is that. Like of the core players on this team, who else yeah. is that? Like, I think all OEL of them are kind of, of quiet,
3: right? Yeah, I think OEL does have a lot of respect in that room. Yeah, um, obviously, you know, Pedersen and Hughes, they'll get there. You know, they're, they're but they're young, right? And they're still learning the league a little bit here too, and, and things and st- stuff like that. But when it comes to being a pro and being ready every single game. Night in and night out, you can almost count on J.T. Miller to be to be that guy every single night, and that's what you want.
0: It, it does feel like Hughes has taken a step this year, yeah. In, in that in that sense, like even just the way he speaks with the media, you can you can kind of sense he's he's matured a little bit over the last twelve yeah. months.
3: Well, that and you just learn. You you, yeah. you learn the league, you learn yourself, and he got the big contract, right? He knows what it takes now. You know, with that comes responsibility, right? If you're going to be the guy, if you're a big ticket guy. You're a guy that's making a lot of money. You got to be there. You got to face them. You got to answer the questions. You have to be a leader. And JT Miller does that. Quinn Hughes is starting to do that, obviously. And then we know, obviously, with both leadership, it's 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 a little bit different.
0: Sirfan Gafar on Canuck Central. Um, before we let you go, uh, how much Hagen does did you have last night? Um, were you upset more about Bobby Wagner or Russell Wilson leaving the Seahawks?
3: Bobby Wagner, because yeah. Russell, Russell you knew wanted out. Yeah like a couple of years ago, right? You knew he was, that was on the edge. And then you see Wagner tweeting that Richard Sherman was a prophet and Sherman tweeting, you know, sometimes being the hero so long you become the villain. Oh, it's funny. I mean, it's great theater. The NFL <laughs> was bananas yesterday. But uh, if I were a betting man, though, tonight, <laughs> haven't been here since Sunday, take the Canucks. Oh, yeah?
0: <laughs> okay.
2: All
3: right. I like it.
0: All right. Take the Canucks tonight. Oh, Earth I gives have... props. Never mind. Uh,
2: never mind that.
3: Yeah, man. I didn't give a prop. I just, I just laid a. <laughs> I just, I just said this is what I think. That gives good props, though. Yeah, <laughs> love it Earth. <or>, love <laughs> it her. But I mean, should it be. I
2: mean, this should be able to be Montreal. I mean, Montreal's been playing better. It shouldn't come as a surprise. I like to
3: pick- No, God no. Yeah, you do. It's the Marty St. Louis. It's the coaching bomb. Yeah, Canucks had it here.
0: Uh all right. We'll, uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks for this. All right, boys. Be well. Uh, there is Irfan Gafar. Joining us and uh, gives a little play for tonight's game as well. Play the Canucks.
2: Yes. Habs have been here since Sunday. I know. I saw Alex Burroughs walking around downtown a couple days ago. Oh, yeah. Burr. Burr. (laughs) They've been chilling, hanging out, having a grand old time.
0: Not to, like, feed into the narrative or anything, but people do know like Montreal is still kind of on lockdown right <laughs> yeah so they're like
2: we're here to have fun <laughs> <laughs> we can go out and on t- on the town and have a good time mm-hmm. and enjoy yeah who knows maybe maybe they're maybe they've had a lot of fun
0: at the same time a few weeks ago Canucks playing the New York Islanders on a Wednesday late puck drop and uh, the Eastern team was more ready for that late puck drop than the local team was. So. Yeah,
2: that was the Islanders game, right? And yeah. it's like, we're like, yeah, you know what? Maybe the, their body clocks. It's like ele- it's like midnight almost for the Islanders. <laughs> no, the Canucks were asleep.
0: Yeah, the Canucks were <laughs> asleep for the start of that game. 5 nothing after 1. I doubt that happens again tonight. But um, I, I think one of the, uh, and, and we've really talked about it a lot, the leadership group of this team right now is one of the underlying storylines that may factor into some of the decisions they make over the next few months. May play a big factor into how they make their decisions over the next few months. Sat.
2: Yeah, and though every time every game you win, yeah, it gets harder and harder for you to make those big decisions at a deadline, <laughs> right? And all along, it was maybe going to be unlikely for those big deals to happen during the season. Maybe it was more realistic for it to happen uh, in the offseason. Weeks away from the trade deadline. They have yep. a seven-game homestand here. And they win, you know, four or five of these games. You're in the race, you're still in the race like they're gonna ha- for them to look at the deadline and say okay we're, we're clear sellers we have no chance. you essentially gotta lose three games before between now and the trade deadline. it's Dan
0: Riccio, sat T.r. Shaw this is Canuck Central coming up next overrated underrated. you can still get in some submissions six fifty six fifty on the Dunbar lumber text line. you give us a topic. The new Batman movie, overrated or underrated? We'll discuss it. It's coming up next on Canuck Central.